Well, as we come to the last uh, study in the book of Genesis, I'm sure that you see that Jacob and Joseph were bound for the promised land. Theirs was a physical territory, ours is a heavenly one. And uh, as we look to the Word of God today, uh, we trust that uh, we'll have been blessed from what we've seen in this great first book of God's Word. This revelation of human history begins with the truth. In the birth of the universe and humanity, it ends with the death of the last patriarch and his beloved son. It's marked with great sorrow, but also great hope as the stage is set for Israel's future migration to the land of promise. We have found that God's intention for humanity was disrupted in the Garden of Eden by the rebellion of Adam and Eve as they disobeyed God there, and sin and death entered the world because of that. But even though mankind rebelled against God, the seed of redemption and hope was planted, and the promise was given to Abraham that through that seed all the world eventually would be blessed. And of course, we know that promise was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides redemption from sin for all who put their faith and trust in him. This final section of Genesis focuses on death and burial. First, Jacob dies, is greatly mourned, and buried in Canaan. Then Joseph dies and instructs his brothers to carry his bones to the promised land where uh, they will eventually uh, uh, go from Egypt. So out of an atmosphere of death and mourning, there shines the hope of Jacob and Joseph that God will fulfill all his promises to Israel, even if they are not alive, to witness them. So they can rest in peace as a result of their faith in God. Someone on my Facebook page often posts an RIP to a person they knew who passed away. Well, those initials have come to mean rest in peace, but the Latin phrase is requiescat in pace. And it was a prayer offered by Roman Catholics from the 18th century on in hope that the deceased soul would rest in peace in eternity. But of course, they don't really teach any hope in that rest. Neither Jacob nor, Joko, uh, Jacob nor Joseph feared death. They would rest in peace because of their faith in the Lord and his promises. In the narrative here of their passing, we find four indications of how believers rest in peace before their death and burial. So let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to the closing chapter of the book of Genesis, we thank you, Lord, for its revelation from the very beginning of the universe uh, to your promise of a seed that would come and defeat the wiles of Satan. And now, Lord, the ending hope of uh, two of the patriarchs, that they would eventually uh, reach uh, heaven's glory, but Lord, also their hope that their people would inherit the promised land. So Lord, we just pray today that you'll help us 
as we look to these words this morning, that we would understand our peace that we have in Christ as we see the peace and rest these men had in their Lord as well. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that the believers rest in peace knowing they will be gathered with their people. We see this in verses 29 to 33 of chapter 49. And Jacob's final charge indicates to us his faith and God's promise. He's finished blessing his sons, and he's ready to give them his burial instructions. And he makes sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they are to uh, take him to a final resting place, not in Egypt, but in the land of Canaan, the promised land that God gave to Abraham and, of course, his sons. We have seen that Jacob's life was a long journey of faith. He's had many ups and downs. He's had many lapses and revivals. Uh, But his faith in the promise of God has always been steady, although uh, he's tried to seek it in his own terms. And that faith is revealed at the time of his death. And so his life now is connected with the faith of his fathers. It's a strong and abiding trust in the promise of God. Now that promise was centered in the land of Canaan. Uh, By being buried with Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, and Leah, in that promised land, Jacob was connecting himself with a history of faith in the Lord. He was taking his place alongside those believers who had preceded him, and he's really telling his sons in this last act that this is where they belong. This is where the future is, not in Egypt. Now, Jacob's final charge indicates with whom he will spend eternity. Now, note the phrase that kind of bookends this paragraph. Jacob turns to his sons. He says, I am to be gathered to my people. And then we see the closing sentence that he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Now, this is the same expression that was used of Abraham and Isaac when they died. And although this alludes to their death, it's not a euphemism for all who die. When a person dies uh, and and, uh, is buried, maybe in the family burial plot, they're not necessarily gathered to a people. Their soul either ascends to be with God or it descends to suffer in Hades, the land of the living dead, so to speak. Jacob speaks of death as going to the people of faith that have preceded him as if they're still alive. I'm going to my people. I'm not going to the grave. I'm not going to Sheol. I'm not going to the place of the dead. I'm going to my people. And they may be physically dead, but their souls have passed to an eternal abiding place. Jacob's hope is connected to a long line of faithful ancestors who believe the same God that he does. Now, Jesus alluded to this truth when he addressed a question about the resurrection in Matthew 22. 
And this is what he says uh, to those who asked him uh, about the resurrection and gave kind of an illustration, um, a smart alecky one. Uh, a man, uh, a woman has seven wives, uh, seven husbands, all of them die. So who is she going to be married to in heaven? Well, Jesus responded by saying, uh, concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So Jesus affirms life after death for those who place their faith in God's promises. So the people that Jacob goes to, uh, their souls have not passed away. They are alive in the presence of God. And this hope causes one to rest in peace now, even before you die. Those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ join the long line of people who have done so before them and have believed God throughout history and will be gathered with those people of faith in eternity, just like Jacob and Joseph were. We will see all the saints of old gathered in heaven with our believing loved ones, but most importantly, we will see Jesus, our Savior, face to face. So what greater peace can a person experience through life than this? Now, we come to the next paragraph. Joseph takes charge of the burial proceedings of Jacob. Uh, His body is embalmed, his person is mourned, and he is carried then to Canaan per his request. And here we find that believers rest in peace, leaving an impact on those they leave behind. So let's take a look at this uh, lengthier uh, paragraph here. And the way we live our life now provides an influence upon others that lasts beyond this life. So what kind of heritage will we leave? Let's take a look at the kind of heritage that Jacob left. Now, Jacob had an impact on a number of people here as we go through the procession of him getting into the promised land. And first of all, we see his impact on his own son, Joseph. In verse 1, chapter 50, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Now, of course, uh, Joseph's act is one uh, of uh, an expression of love, an expression of respect. Um, he, he falls upon his father in his grief, uh, similar to the way we would hug a relative or someone close to us uh, on, the, on the passing of someone that we uh, were very close to. And we know that in the first 17 years of his life, Jacob loved Joseph. He was the favored son. That caused some problems in the family, but that was a blessed relationship between the two of them. And we know the last 17 years of Jacob's life, God brought them back together, and I'm sure they they shared many memorable times. And there's no doubt that Jacob... Uh, during those times, would have shared with his son the promises of God, the stories of his grandfather and his father, much like we do our own children. And a believer who has shown that kind of love and that kind of interest, uh, impacting them for good, well, they're going to be grieved at their passing. And so there's this great impact on the life 
of his son Joseph. I remember years ago in a previous ministry that a family lost uh, one of their teenage sons in an accident. And um, at the end of the funeral, they asked me to conduct the funeral for them. And at the end of the funeral, as people were passing by, the, the mother threw herself upon the casket and she was just weeping and wailing, and the family actually had to to pull her away. She was so grieved over her loss. And that's kind of the picture that we see here in Joseph as his father passes away. But it shows the impact that Jacob had on his son. Now, in verses 2 through 9, we see the uh, preparation for the burial, and we see through it Jacob's impact upon the nation of Egypt. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned him seventy days. Now, there is no burial described in the Bible with such attention and detail as this one, not even that of the Lord Jesus. Jacob's burial is a very significant event. It's similar to the burial of an ancient king. And it identifies Jacob as a widely revered man, and it's important because it connects where Israel has been to where Israel will be when they take him up to the promised land. And I want to mention here that it was significant that Jacob was buried. Now, although he was embalmed in similar fashion as uh, present-day bodies, he was carried up to Canaan and he was buried there. The burial of the body of believers is a token of our hope that we will be raised again in bodily form. So we'll have to be thinking about this as we make our arrangements All the references in the Bible to burning dead bodies is associated with either judgment or a curse. I think the Lord would prefer that we be buried as Jacob and Joseph were. Now that's just kind of an aside. But the ancient Egyptians believed that you entered the afterlife in your physical body. So they tried to preserve it as much as possible by this embalming process. It was very long and arduous. It involved uh, often removing the organs of the body and replacing them with herbs and spices that would retard decay. The body would then be wrapped in these long strips of cloth with more embalming spices, similar to... uh, all the movies about mummies that you see today. That's what he would have looked like. Now, Joseph would not have believed the pagan practices of the Egyptians in doing this. And we find here that he calls the physicians who would be in charge in this, but there were no Egyptian priests involved in the process. And it was necessary uh, for that long period of mourning and then taking the body of Jacob back to uh, uh, the promised land uh, so that uh, you wouldn't have issues of uh, decay. Now, 
The period of mourning was very extensive and significant. It lasted well over two months. And the servants of Pharaoh uh, and all the people of the land mourned for Jacob nearly the same length of time they would for a Pharaoh, which was 72 days. So he's being buried much like an ancient king would have been. And even Pharaoh displayed immense respect for Jacob, allowing Joseph to return his body to be buried in Canaan. And uh, that's described in verses 4 through 6. Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. And remember, when these two men first met, it was not the Pharaoh who blessed Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob, it was Jacob who blessed the Pharaoh. The greater blesses the lesser. And now he is being treated as if he were a king as well. Well, in verses 7 to 9, we have the, prof- uh, the procession to Canaan, and this is really the most impressive thing of all. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. There were hundreds, if not thousands of people trekking up to Canaan to take Jacob to his final earthly resting place. Um, So all the high officials of Pharaoh's court and all the family of Joseph, except for their young ones, and then it seems that even uh, a portion of the army of Egypt went with them, perhaps for protection purposes, uh, in this impressive display of respect for Jacob. And perhaps this is symbolic of Israel in its future days of glory, especially under King David and Solomon, who uh, uh, certainly were men who greatly impacted the world. So Egypt uh, has been greatly influenced by this man, and they are showing it now as they proceed to carry him up to Canaan. And the last thing that we see is in verses 10 and 11, Jacob's impact really on the world of his day. They came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So this procession 
uh, is so great that it cannot go unnoticed by the inhabitants of the land. And they stop at this place called Atad, where Joseph observes seven more days of mourning for Jacob. And I wouldn't be surprised if some people of the land had come who previously had known Jacob to honor him at his death. And when these people observe the the great mourning of this uh, troop from Egypt, they actually named the place Abel Mizraim, which means mourning of Egypt. Now Jacob had been both revered and feared as he sojourned in Canaan. He was also known by Arameans up in Haran, And uh, his brother's land was the land of Edom, so the Edomites would have known him. And it's not unlikely that as these different groups of people hear about his death, that they mourn for him as well. And so this procession is very similar to what we observe today when renowned figures die, such as presidents of the United States and the recent passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, he would have been uh, in, in uh, that kind of recognition. A person's earthly influence is often recognized at the time of their burial. Years ago, when our former pastor, Dr. Jesse Boyd, died, the funeral was packed with hundreds of people, and they were showing their love and their respect for a man who had influenced them for God. I have conducted many funerals in my ministry, and the saddest ones are always those where just a handful of people are present. I remember early on, uh, someone asked me if if I would uh, take the proceedings for, uh, I believe it was their mother, and we went, and there were like two or three people there. It was just so sad to realize that someone dies and they're of no value to other people. The most joyful ones, however, are with people who gather to remember the life of a loved one who knew the Lord and had a positive spiritual impact upon their life. And we may never have as wide an impact as Jacob did and Joseph did, but we can have a great spiritual influence within our families and our community. How we live now will determine how we are remembered later. Now in verse 14, um, we read earlier, they, the sons do exactly what their father wants out of respect and obedience to him. And then they go back in verse 14 They returned to Egypt, Uh, Joseph and his brothers, all who went up with them to bury his father. We might ask, well, why did they do that? This is the promised land. God said, this is where you're going to settle. Jacob has died. He's going back there. Uh, He's being buried. Why not return to the land now? Well, we have to remember uh, what God promised Abraham many years earlier in that uh, Uh, meeting of the covenant where the covenant was ratified, the Lord revealed to Abraham that uh, they would dwell in a foreign land. They would be afflicted for 400 years until the iniquities of the Amorites had been completed. So that time had not yet passed 
and uh, the time for the return was not yet ripe. So they all return to Egypt, and they'll be there for a lengthy period of time before the promise comes to pass. Now, the next paragraph we also did not read earlier. So let's go there because we have another lesson about this rest in peace. As Joseph's brothers are not at all at peace about what's going to happen to him. Now, in verse uh, 15, we see here, believers rest in peace, trusting the sovereign purposes of God. And Joseph's brothers, it's revealed here, after all these years, 17 more years in the land of Egypt, they still are not at peace about uh, their relationship to Joseph. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sins, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Well, it's apparent that uh, these brothers still live in fear of retaliation. Perhaps they believe that it was only the presence of their father that kept uh, Joseph on good terms with them. And after he died, Joseph would show his true feelings and he would retaliate. So that kind of reveals to us that, that gnawing nature of sin as they still feel guilty about what they had done and they're still not assured of the forgiveness on the part of Joseph, even though he's demonstrated it and he's shown no evidence of vengeance over this period of time. So they send messengers to Joseph begging his forgiveness they claim that Jacob wanted Joseph to forgive them. We don't have any record of that statement, so we're not exactly sure if it was true or just a means by which uh, Jacob would, or Joseph would listen to them. But either way, they themselves asked to be forgiven. And this is the first time we have a record where they have specifically asked Joseph to forgive them. Now, they send messengers with this, and then they come themselves. And uh, they were even willing to become his slaves as they bowed down to him for the uh, nth number of times, as was seen in uh, Joseph's dreams. But they had presented that option previously when they all got together uh, over the issue of Benjamin. They offered to be slaves and they showed they were willing to place themselves in that position <clears throat> that they had forced their brother to occupy when they sent him into Egypt. So this is really a sign on their part of remorse and repentance. And it's interesting that in the 18th verse there, they call themselves the servants of the God of your father. It seems these men finally 
saw the importance of their role in the history of the nation and that they needed to be servants of the Lord like their fathers had been. So they can honestly refer to themselves in this way again for the first time. Now, Joseph then reassures them of God's sovereign purpose. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the for am I in the place of God? Joseph understands what has been going on. How can he question what God has done, what God has brought about in his providence? God's methods of accomplishing his will are in his hands, and he can use all things to that end. And he says he's not in God's place uh, to, to judge another, uh, to bring vengeance. That's God's business. Um, note what he says, always seeing the big picture in verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So we're going back to that theme we find in the uh, narrative of Joseph. He knows that God is capable of using even the evil intentions of man to bring about good. And because of his understanding of God and his dealings, Joseph was able to forgive his brothers and treat them kindly. Now, this is a difficult concept for us to understand because it involves the sovereignty of God. He's able to turn ill will, even sin, to his purposes. And Joseph, of course, was an example of that. But the greatest example of that is in the circumstances leading up to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The evil intentions of men to get rid of Jesus was used of God to actually provide the atonement that we needed to have our sins forgiven. And this included the betrayal by Judas, the false accusations of religious leaders, the cruel treatment of uh, Christ by the Roman soldiers, the weakness of Pilate condemning a just man, and the disloyalty of the people who turned their backs on Jesus and cried for his crucifixion. But all of this was God's means of crucifying a just man who was the son of God and able to provide the penalty for, uh, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be eternally forgiven. So believers can even rest in peace when they are evilly slandered, when they are abused or mistreated or afflicted. God has a purpose in such things, and his purpose is always good. We're reminded of Romans chapter 8, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So because Joseph is at rest with God's sovereign will, he continues to display benevolence to his brothers. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them 
and spoke kindly to them. The last thing we want to see here is that believers rest in peace, believing that God's promises will be fulfilled. We see this in the last uh, mention of Joseph's life. And in verses 22 and 23, we see God's blessing on the remainder of, of Joseph's life. Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. This would have been for probably another 50 years. Joseph lived 110 years. He saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. So he's able to witness uh, his great-grandchildren uh, growing up to a certain extent. We understand a little bit what that's like. Uh, we're blessed with grandchildren, sometimes great-grandchildren. And so he has a life of continued blessing there in Egypt. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, we, we rest in uh, the confidence that if we are walking with God, if we're living for him, then we're going to have the most blessed life we can have here and now. But as Joseph is about to die, not seeing the fulfillment of all of God's promises, he has a sure hope that they will be fulfilled. We see this in his last words to his brothers. Some of them could still have been alive. Uh, they were not that far apart in age. Um, it could have just been relatives who were around him. But he says, I'm dying. But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Jacob looked for burial in the promised land. Joseph looked forward to occupation of the land of promise. Twice he mentions that God would visit his people. He was going to take them out of Egypt. He was going to place them in the promised land. And when that event occurred, he wanted them to vow that they would take his bones with them because he was not really an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew believer in Almighty God. And although he would not see that promise fulfilled, he had the strong confidence, the strong faith that God was capable and would bring about that promise. And indeed, some 400 years in the future, God did exactly that. So in, who, in hope of this future event, uh, Joseph makes them swear to take him up with them. And even though this book ends with Joseph in a coffin, his end is peaceful, confident that Israel would someday be where God intended them to be. And we rest in the same confidence today. 
Some of God's promises concerning Christ's return have not yet been fulfilled. We may die before they are, but we may rest in peace that Christ will come. He will judge his enemies. He will set up his millennial kingdom. He will rule the world. We who have placed our faith and trust in his salvation will rule with him. So, are you resting in the peace that God offers by these truths? Are you confident that someday you will be gathered to the people of God who have trusted in Christ as their Savior? Are you leaving a spiritual impact in the sphere of your earthly influence that will last beyond the grave? Are you trusting God's sovereign purposes, even in those times you may suffer at the hands of evil people? And do you believe that God can even bring good out of those difficult times? Finally, are you resting in the truth that God will eventually fulfill all of his promises, even though you may not realize them in your lifetime? There's no other way you can have peace that will control your soul throughout life than this. The same peace that caused Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to rest. And uh, we only experience that peace as we share their faith. Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning your blessing upon your word. We're thankful, Lord, that we can rest in peace because we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior. And as we have that hope, we know that one day when we pass on, we will be gathered with the people of God, the people of faith. Help us, Lord, to go through this life uh, with a desire to influence and impact others to be among those people and thus be well remembered. We also pray, Lord, today that when we face evil days, when people treat us wrongly and hurt us and harm us, help us to see that you can bring good out of those bad situations and that your will can ultimately be fulfilled in our personal life. And then, Lord, help us always to realize that we can rest in hope that even though all of your promises may not be fulfilled in our lifetime, they will be sometime in the future. Encourage us, Lord, and bless us with these thoughts today we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.